Did you guys enjoy your Thanksgiving this week? Did anybody do any traveling this week? Uh, we went to Kalamazoo. Uh, I know some of you guys are going to Grand Rapids and back, or maybe you had the family uh, at your place this year. Um, it is one of the busiest months of the year, from Thanksgiving to Christmas, and as this morning sits, we are 24 days away from Christmas. How many are excited for Christmas, all right? And with that, it's the busiest part of the year with regular responsibilities of work and school and sports and other things. But there's added responsibility in each of our lives that I don't care how young or how old you are, there are different things that we experience only in the month between Thanksgiving and Christmas that we don't experience other times of the year. Different parties, different get-togethers. For some of us, it's the only time we see our family, and that's just the way it is. For others, it's shopping or food preparation. Or what's the big deal uh, that at Christmas time, we feel like we've got to completely redecorate the whole house for one month? What is that? And it's, it's the busiest time of the year. And it's not only the busiest time of year in our own lives. How many have realized that the post office, oh man, it's the busiest month of the year for the post office with Christmas cards, with different mail, and especially with online shopping these days. How many, let's just take a quick poll, will at least buy one gift online and have it shipped this year? Just take a look around. We are using the post office more than ever, and mail just kind of piles up, and uh, look at that. Can you imagine, I mean, you, you hear about people going postal, you can kind of understand just the overwhelming sense of, are we ever going to get through this? And I was thinking about the post office, and I was thinking about mail, and I was thinking that sometimes there is mail that we get that we just love. We're waiting for it. And when it comes, we rip into it. It's a package. Maybe it's a, you know, a, a Christmas card. You can know that it's from someone you know, from out of town and you haven't seen their picture. Although you see their picture every day on Facebook, I know. But, um, but maybe you're waiting for a check in the mail or cash or gift cards that are coming. Or you know, how about this? This is kind of a lost art, but does anybody do family newsletters anymore? You know, you write a little story, a few of you guys do, and uh, you, where you write a story and you kind of open that up and you're like, oh, the Smith family, and you get an you know, update on all the kids and all those things. Really, is it, you know, I was thinking about that. Facebook has really replaced that art, hasn't it? You, because we are up to date uh, constantly. But what's interesting is there's mail that we love to get, but then there's this mail at other times that we resist opening. Have you ever been there? You got a piece of mail and it's been sitting on the counter for a day or two or maybe a week or more. Maybe it's a credit card bill after Black Friday spending, you know. It comes and you're like, what in the world have I done or after Christmas? Or maybe it's bills in general. Or maybe it's a notice from the IRS. Tony, I know you deal with that sometimes. You're like, you know, I, I'm not going to open this. I'm just going to bring it to my CPA and <laughs> just let him deal with it. And uh, maybe that's the case. Or maybe it's a letter from your lawyer or kids, students. How many have ever got home, got the mail when it was postcard, uh, uh, grade report card season, and you got that and you hit it and you never showed your parents? Anybody else done that? A few of you guys have done that? Yes, thank you. We connect those moms, see the, see the sons and the kids with their hands. And there's these, this fear that it's bad mail or it's bad timing. And maybe this 
Fear even translates into our cell phone usage. If you've got a cell phone, you've got caller ID, or if you've got a house phone with caller ID, that same type of fear can rise up when someone is on the other line, maybe a collector or maybe someone from your family, or there's this confrontation that you know is going to happen. You've been avoiding my boss is just called and you don't answer the phone. How many, to be honest, have never, have, have not answered the phone when you saw who's calling at least once this week? <laughs> right? That happens. I haven't finished my assignment. I'm not answering the phone. Or this person's so negative. I'm not answering the phone. Or I've done something wrong. I'm going to be called out. Who, how did they figure it out? And that same type of fear, not opening mail or opening that cell phone up saying, okay, hello, that same sort of fear can even come when we are, have to have a meeting face-to-face with someone. You're saying, I do not want to meet face-to-face with my boss. We need to review a few things this week, he says. And you're like, oh, no, I do not want to sit down. Or you hear, uh, hey, uh, we need to talk. And it's, a, you know, it's someone in your life that, that you're saying, oh, man, do we really have to do this? Even with our own spouses, you say, hey, I'd like to catch up this week. And you're saying, oh, no. You know, and, and whether it's a spouse or a board member, a boss, a coach, a teacher, what, what happens, especially with authority figures, they're saying, hey, we want to meet face-to-face we have this fear that kind of wells up with inside of us. I remember one time I was, I was young, I was like uh, fifth or sixth grade, and I was kind of sowing my wild oats for a fifth or sixth grader, I remember. And it was the summer, it was in between, I was probably, uh, and I remember coming home late, and my mom and dad are on my porch at home, and I'm skateboarding home, thinking I'm all cool, and I see my mom and dad, and they're like, hey, we need to talk before you head on in. And I, my heart is just like, oh, fear gripped me. They asked me, what's going on? And I'm like, what do I share? What did they know? What have they figured out? <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, you've been there. Or maybe it's like this, the fear over the intercom at school, students. Uh, they say, attention, all, <laughs> all students, would the, the, the uh, following five students report immediately to the principal's office? And what's the response? Oh, like in the classroom, all across the school. And there's this fear. If your name is called out, the first response is you think something bad is going to happen or has happened. Am I right? You're saying, what in the world? Or you start thinking about your mistakes. Or you think about... Uh, what we have gotten away with. And you're saying, how in the world did they find out when we get that kind of news, when, especially with authority figures, we expect the worst. If it's a scary mail, uh, scary email, scary phone call, or that scary face-to-face meeting, unfortunately, there's fear that kind of wells up with inside of us and it can kind of be paralyzing if we're not careful. What I was thinking about this is that unfortunately far too often we have the same sort of response with our heavenly father, with God. If God were to send you a letter to so-and-so from God, would you even open it? If God was to call your number and you saw it on the caller ID, would you pick up the phone 
Or would you be like, <laughs> I'm not sure. Or if God was to say, hey, I want to meet you face to face. You're saying, ah, I'm not, I'm not sure that's a good idea. I've read in the Bible where people saw God and they died, <laughs> right? And you're saying, oh, man. I, I, in our first response, if God were to call our name out, many times is fear and trembling. Don't open that letter. Don't answer the phone. A phone. Avoid that meeting. And the idea of going one-on-one with God, and I don't care if you're a believer or a non-believer, you're our first response is all the stuff I've done wrong. Our first response is, okay, God is holy. I am not holy. Am I right? And our inconsistencies come to mind, even after we've accepted Jesus. And there's this fear. It's the same fear that kind of keeps people away from church. It's the same fear that we're one step closer to dealing with pain or hurt in our lives if it was God on the other line or a letter from God. Or it's this fear that it takes us one step closer to dealing with sin in our lives. Fear. And where do you think this fear comes from? I was trying to get my mind around that. Maybe it comes from our upbringing, uh, rooted in uh, maybe a a different pastor, the way they, uh, hopefully not from me, uh, but uh, maybe a friend, or or maybe, you know, there was some over-discipline in your past or something like that. But wherever the fear comes from, it's scary. I was thinking about this, that fear can even come from the Bible, from Bible stories. And we have to be careful. I remember I was a kid's pastor, and there are some stories that kid's pastors should just avoid sharing in church with little kids. I remember I was tell, telling the story of First Samuel, and Samuel, he's living at the church, which, I mean, that would freak out most kids anyway, right? Samuel, left, his mom left him, abandoned him at the church. Eli, this older prophet guy, here, you know, beard, and, you know, I just, you know, I, I don't know, just kind of creepy, but, uh, but then they're staying there, and then God is saying to, to Samuel, Samuel! He's calling out Samuel's name at night. He comes to Eli, Eli, or Samuel comes to Eli and says, hey, did you call? And then he says, no, three times it happens. And then God, or then Eli says, look, if it happens again, say, yes, your servant is listening. And I'm just thinking the fear around this story, you start sharing that with kids and kids are going home, not wanting to sleep at night, saying, mom, dad, you know, is God going to speak to me in the middle of the night and um, call my name out? And there's this fear and whether it comes from a Bible story or from our background or there's just something inside of us, the point is, is that there can be some real fear with the thought of going one-on-one with God. You tracking with me so far? And then it's Christmas, the time of year that we should be wanting more of God or we're expecting to think more about God or at least at some level. And then there's this fear, there's this anxiety. Maybe it's a disinterest saying, no, I don't want to go there. Or maybe there's questions around the whole story. Or maybe you're saying, you know what? I've tried this before and I'm not interested today. And there's this fear. But as I was praying and asking the Lord to help us this season, there was this revelation that the message of the Christmas story should erase all of those fears. And I'm convinced that if we really understood the message of Christmas and not just the story, 
we would not respond to God with fear. There wouldn't be any guilt or shame. Those things would evaporate. Or avoiding the letter or the phone call or the face-to-face meeting. Instead, there would be joy. There would be an anticipation. That letter, we'd rip it open. That phone call, we'd say, hey, what's up? Or we'd you know, look forward to meeting God face-to-face. As I thought about it, there is power. There is incredible potential in the Christmas message, in the Christmas story. And I was just wondering about the Christmas story. Um, how many have ever heard the Christmas story? You know, just th- put yourself in my shoes for a minute. You're like, you know, what, what is a pastor going to preach about in December? You know, it, it's like, didn't we just preach about that last year? You know, you got to highlight the Christmas story, right? In fact, I'm just interested to know how many of you not only have heard the Christmas story, how many of you have played a part in the Christmas story? All right, a lot of you, whether you it's at school or at church or maybe at home. I remember at our uh, family gatherings, my grandma would dress us up and we'd have to, you know, there's Mary and baby Jesus. Any baby Jesuses here? You know, you were baby Jesus maybe when you were little. How many Marys or Josephs? Yeah. Any Weisenheimer, uh, wise guys, wise men? Any shepherds? You know what? One time, there were no other parts in the play. I had to be the sheep, the stinky (laughs) sheep, just being honest. I played it all, let me tell you. And you've probably been there too in the story. The Christmas story is not a news story, but the message. How does that message that we know so well, how does that story, the message of it, elude us? Because there is a life-changing message here. And whether you're a believer or unbeliever, whether it's your first time hearing it, which I doubt, or it's your 1,000th time hearing the story, when you decide to choose Christmas, it will do away with fear. It will. Choosing Christmas, embracing the message, not just the story, does away with fear. Fear that keeps us from intimacy with God. And where I want to land this morning, and we're going to be heading there, and we're going to ask the worship team to come back and to help us, and just we're praying that that God would just move on our hearts today. Jesus is longing for an intimate relationship with us. But when there's fear in the mix at any level, it destroys the potential for intimacy. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. A familiar story, the Christmas story. You're going to read this uh, probably uh, in the next few weeks, and I hope to bring some light and some some ideas uh, that will help you enhance the story. Luke chapter two is uh, interesting. Uh, that you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record the birth uh, of Jesus, but Luke two is really the place we often go. It's very smooth reading. And uh, let's, let's just take a look at some of these verses uh, over the next few minutes and ask God to really uh, enrich his word in our lives and really to tackle fear this morning. Verse 1 says this, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, we see that verse and we say, okay, there was this decree from Caesar uh, Augustus 
a census, which could have in those days happened at any time. Anytime the rulers or officials wanted to take a census, they could do that. And it most likely, although it's not here, but most likely was a census that was about taxation. It was about money. And it it was interesting that when we read this, it was at least 40 years at this point that the Romans had overtaxed the Jews. And with that, there was quite a bit of fear around uh, around that time. And uh, the Romans had the Jews kind of by the throat. And there was fear, there's confusion uh, uh, emotionally, there was spiritual abuse, there was political unrest, there was even financial uh, burdens that were placed on the people. There were high taxes with no voice. So they had to pay, 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 but they didn't have a voice. They were told what to do. And that's kind of the the scene here in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And then it says, and everyone went to his own town to register. Again, there was this fear that, boy, I fear Rome. You better return to your hometown. You better do it. It's a requirement. And we see that in verse 3. Verse 4 says this, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David. Why? Because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Huge verse here. We aren't going to take time to unpack it this morning. We may look at it in the next few weeks. But um, a lot of fulfilled prophecy in this verse. And he's heading to Bethlehem, which is important. Let's read in verse 5. It says, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first son, her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now we read that, and it's so sweet and so nice. But just put yourselves in their shoes. Imagine the conversation, Joseph saying to Mary, Hey, Mary, we're going to go 170 to 200 miles, but don't worry, you're not going to have to walk. And I know you're, you know, eight months pregnant. Where's, where is Jen, Jennifer? Jennifer, just stand up for a second. You're a couple weeks away from, from being, uh, you know, having another kid. Whoa, help her out there, Carlos. And if Carlos said this morning, hey, honey, um, let's walk to, I don't know, Detroit. (laughs) But don't worry, you're not going to have to walk. I'm going to get you a donkey, (laughs) let alone a sleigh or a car. I mean, you're not wanting to go anywhere, are you? But that's where they were. And then they find themselves no room in the inn. They find themselves most likely 